0: Hello, dear friends. Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason. Glad to be with you today. The boards are already lighting up. That's nice to see. And I have a whole stack of questions from our open mic callers here, and I plan to get to a few of those today. Uh, last time around, we had so many live callers that uh, we, didn't, we didn't get to many of the others, but it's always good to be able to interact with you. And there's so many important things to talk about. Uh, it just seems like we never run out in a way, and uh, good news, bad news, uh, I will never be out of a job, okay? Um, the bad news, of course, is there's always problems to solve or to, challenges to answer. Uh, good news is I'll still be <laughs> able to serve, but uh, I mean, it's one of those kinds of things, isn't it? Uh, for example, I got a uh, <clears throat> a note uh, through our, the internet uh, on our website. Uh, recently uh, from somebody who's a regular person at Stand to Reason asking uh, about colleges and universities for their daughter. And I <clears throat> I have in the past spent some time every year, I try to choose it just so when people are thinking about schools for their kids. I think generally I do this in the fall because that's when those decisions are being made for the following year. And, uh, and I used to give fi- five criteria that um, were important in choosing a Christian school. Now, if you're planning to send your kid to a public school, you know what you're in for, or maybe not. Maybe you're going to be surprised because it keeps getting worse and worse. The oppressiveness of that whole, the ideological oppressiveness of that entire community, but uh, what used to be orientation, you know, you go and you learn about how the buses work on campus and how to do things in your dorm rooms and set this up and do the other thing, all the normal stuff. What was when I, way back when. Now it's indoctrination sessions. Here's what you can say, here's what you can't say, here's what you're supposed to believe, etc., uh, etc. Et and here's what's going to happen to you if you say the wrong thing kind of deal. Okay, well, you know what you're in for there, but uh, Christian schools, if you choose properly, Using the five criteria that I suggested, and uh, there are five now, there used to be four well, then you're probably going to be safe. And I talked about the Bible as the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God, right at the top, and Jesus being the only way, right at the top. That's the first two. Uh, then I talked about the issue of the the view on homosexuality, whether they were theologically gay-friendly, whether—and the, yes, I'm talking about Christian schools here—or and uh, or were they fudging on that a little bit? Um <clears throat> Uh, Were they uh, theistic evolutionists, and did they embrace critical theory or something like that? Do they have uh, an inequity dean or something like that? So it's a bad sign, in my view. Of course, these things have moved around now, and the homosexuality one went from five to four. I mean, it's actually—there was only four, then the CRT came through, and all the critical race theory, and that's moved up. And a lot of these last ones, to me, are bellwethers. Are, are, are Is the Christian school embracing these things? And if they are, to me, it's a sign of the influence of the culture on the people, on the school. And they're, they're um, meandering to uh, to satisfy uh, cultural pressure, and that's a that's dangerous when I see that happening. The homosexuality issue was the thing that was the particular bellwether, and now the equity, inclusion, and diversity, uh, and the diversity deans, etc. Th- that, to me, is, is much more pressing here because it's more all-inclusive and it covers more ground. In any event, um, I said if you can find five schools, I'm sorry, if you find a school that satisfies my concerns, passes muster on these five issues, you're probably good to go. I think the last time I did this a little more than a year ago, <clears throat> I told you I wasn't going to do this anymore, because the the prospect of finding a school that claims to be Christian and is in some way—I'm not doubting their claim—but who who passes the test, let's put it that way, on each of these concerns that I have, well, the possibility of finding one of those is virtually nil anymore. Virtually nil. And uh, what the counsel i would given since then and now is, don't look for a school like that. Just look for a school that, if it claims to be Christian, That means that it's a school that counted as largely secular, but a lot of Christians are going to be there, much more so than in a standard secular school, just because you can't be confident about which way the wind is going to blow theologically and culturally for virtually any Christian institution now. And in fact, there was a question that was sent to me recently that I had talked about what colleges are still safe. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give any recommendations anymore, save one. I'll tell you about that in a moment, save one. And the reason is, as I, as we responded, uh, and I, don't send me a bunch of emails because I don't respond to a bunch of emails. This one, I, I just sent a quick word because it had something to do with I wanted to talk about here. And I had Amy said, uh, uh, text him back and say, or email back, that things are in constant flux. That schools that I would have bet on being true blue for a long time are now in question, in my view. And so who knows what's going to happen. I could say something today and tomorrow that school I just recommended could get a diversity dean and everything's going to change. So I I can't do that with one exception. It's a school I want to send my daughter to, and it's close by, and it's John MacArthur's Master's College. Now why Why would I suggest that school rather than any other? I'll tell you why. I was at John MacArthur's church on Easter. i followed him since I was a new Christian, almost 50 years. John John MacArthur is never going to change. He is never going to compromise. And his school would never change as long as he is alive. And then when he's gone... There are so many of his direct disciples, people who he has mentored and trained who are in charge of his enterprises that are still going to be around, and they're not going to falter either. But I have uh, no sustained confidence in any other Christian institution. And some of you might say, well, I know this school, that's great. Well, it is great. Oh, look, look Lee Strobel's over at uh, Colorado Christian. I have no reason at all to distrust anything happening at Colorado Christian, okay? So maybe I've got two schools. But part of the reason I could say with regards to both of those schools is because I know the people who are at the helm. Either I know personally, like Lee, or I, I know of the character and the commitment and the conviction and the theology Of the one who's at the head of Master's College, John MacArthur. So those are two schools that you can count on. Now, if something happens to Lee in the next 10 years or five years, who knows what's going to happen with Colorado Christian. I I have no reason to question that. What I'm saying is things are in flux. But I'm pretty confident that Master's College is going to be a true blue for a long, long time certainly for the duration of my daughter's time in college. She's a sophomore now, so in two years from this fall, she could start there. That's four more years. I think it's going to be pretty solid for the next six years. I'm not concerned about masters, but who knows about the rest. Right now, we do not have a good track record, and that's why, generally speaking, I suggest when you think about a Christian school, don't count on it being consistently Christian in the sense that I described with those qualifiers, those five that I just offered. Because you never know. Things change quickly. Instead, think of it as a school that has a lot of Christians going to it. And that's you can count on that pretty much. And that's going to be a better environment than a school that's openly hostile in all of those areas and has a whole bunch of people that go to school that are equally hostile to the Christian view in each one of those areas, all right? So, you pick your poison. <laughs> that's my suggestion, all right? Now, uh, let's see. Since I have a caller, let me go right to the caller, and uh, we'll chat a little bit before I go to my open mic calls. Can we do that, Amy? Right, go Go right to our caller? Yeah, they're all set. Okay, they're queued up. And uh, let's see. Cade in Colorado Springs. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mr. Coco. Oh, it's Mr. Cade. Hey. Yeah. Nice to hear from you. Are you in Colorado Springs now?
1: I am, yeah. I've been in Colorado Springs now for about uh, four or five months.
0: Oh, because well, you were in South Colorado. You went from, you know, the, the, the Rust Belt up there in <laughs> the Duluth area uh... down to southern colorado now you're in uh, colorado springs so nice to hear from you again cade
1: yeah it's great to hear you mr coco <laughs> thank
0: you thanks buddy so what's up what's on your mind
1: well i guess i'll, I'll give a quick qualifier before i ask my question because it'll probably make more sense then um, so recently we moved to colorado springs um, and i've been attending this new church and so far i've i've really really liked it Okay. Um, I've gotten involved with like, a youth group, and that's been really great. Um, one thing that's really come up for me, though, is that I think, I think you know me well enough to know I'm very intellectual in the way I think, in, mm-hmm. in the way I think about my faith and a lot a lot of these people at my church are more the experiential type the more like you, you it needs to become heart knowledge kind of thing I, I don't you know what i'm talking about
0: well i know what you're describing here i I'd, I'd make some qualifications maybe in our discussion a little bit about it, but go ahead
1: yeah definitely but yeah so my question has to do mr kokel with the fact that while we both know how important apologetics and reason is in, in found and laying a foundation for our faith. Um, a lot of these, a lot of Christians in general nowadays like to talk more about the experience and you know being filled with the Holy Spirit or like having that feeling. And like, and I don't really even know what that means. Mm-hmm. So my question, my question to you is: What is the dynamic? What is the interaction between apologetics? and like an experiential relationship with God.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I saw the question here, and, and I'm thinking about this, and I have always been suspicious that this is a kind of a false uh, dichotomy. It's like left brain or right brain, okay? Uh, but I'm sympathetic to the concern, because there's there are people that are filled with knowledge but are not— shall we just say at this point, filled with the Spirit. Now, what that phrase means is different depending on who you're talking to, okay? If you Mm -hmm. look up the phrase filled with the Spirit, um, it occurs—Paul uses the phrase once in um, Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, and all of the rest of the uses of the phrase filled with the Spirit are in the book of Acts, okay? that's Luke's use of the term and they use them differently in in Luke's use it's there is always a manifestation of something happening and they were filled with the spirit and spoke in tongues or Stephen filled with the spirit rose up against his challengers and he spoke boldly uh, or or something like that so every time that Luke uses the phrase filled with the spirit there is a manifestation of something powerful that's happening okay <clears throat> When Paul uses it, he says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Um, and the, 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 the point there is if wine, you give yourself over to some substance to be in control of you instead, Paul says, let the Spirit do that in your life. So, he's using the term in a little bit different way than Luke uses the term, okay? Now, I'm all for Spirit-filling in both senses, okay? But it seems like in the, in the Luke sense, these are things that God's Spirit does as needed. God will act in a powerful way when that power is needed in a circumstance. Okay. By the way, this this kind of stuff happened to Peter, but Peter is a pretty smart guy. He wrote a letter, you know, wrote two of them, first and second Peter, right? He was really the substance of the gospel of Mark, because uh, Mark was his disciple and took his instructions from Peter. So, Peter's a pretty bright guy. He's not all right-brained, affective, emotional. Uh, he could get emotional, sure, but he had, he had this other aspect of of him as well. You and I tend to be left-brained type people. I think we're similar in that regard, and it's just the way we process information. But that doesn't mean we're bereft of feelings. Like, okay, you can know all this stuff, but where's the heart knowledge? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by heart knowledge when people raise that issue. I love the Lord. You love the Lord. We experience God in different ways we also are careful about our thinking about God, and we know that whatever emotions that we experience, or so-called heart level affect whatever, has to be properly theologically informed. And this is why, if people want to dichotomize the two, I'm going to say you better get the head stuff right, because the heart stuff can lead you astray, if what we mean by heart In this sense is the modern sense of heart, which is emotions. The biblical concept of heart is not emotions, it's the whole person. And that's why when the psalmist says, guard your heart, he's saying, guard the whole thing. Your thoughts, your affections, your attention, your whole person should be careful to ascertain the truth properly. This is why I, I don't feel comfortable with the the dichotomy, so to speak. I don't feel comfortable with making these distinctions. Well, you got the heart knowledge, the head knowledge, but we've got the heart. We've got the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Those aren't on two opposite ends of the spectrum. If we are cold-hearted, that's a vice, okay? And we could be theologically um, intense and knowledgeable, or we could be theologically stupid and still be cold-hearted, okay? Yeah. It not like they go hand in hand if you know a lot of theology you know uh, then then uh, then you're gonna have a cold heart I that's not the case it wasn't Paul's case Paul knew lots of good theology so did Jesus but they didn't have cold hearts okay so I I, I think that we can we can talk about these in it in different aspects but at the same time I, I don't think that they're dichotomies and so I'm not looking to um, balance out the heart knowledge and the head knowledge. You even said yourself, Cade, just a moment ago, I don't even know what they mean by that. What I think they mean is they're going off on an emotional, um, what's the right way to put it now? I don't want to say binge because that sounds negative, pejorative, but foundation? Well, maybe it might be. And if the foundation is emotional, that not lets you in trouble because that can't be the foundation. Um, there used to be a tract, and maybe they still have it. The crusade used to use it, and it talked about the, the fact-faith feelings, okay? And it talked, what is the—in the, tr- the train, the locomotive is the thing pulling the rest of the train, and that's the facts. It's the facts that are the foundation, okay? Our response— to the facts is we put our trust in those, that's the faith, and feelings, that's the caboose. Okay? Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a big caboose, sometimes it's a small caboose, but we can't have the caboose pull in the train. It doesn't work that yeah. way. Yeah,
1: and so, I think I think that might be the biggest thing that you just said, Mr. Koukl, is that when I talk with a lot of people, they, they're, they're very good Christians in the fact that they love the Lord, they worship the Lord, and they, they understand the importance of knowledge and apologetics, but what I tend to think and what I tend to get the message of is that we need to, yeah, the knowledge is like a cool thing on the side, but we have to be transformed by the Spirit. We have to really experience God for who He is. And I, I think that's a dangerous slope because a lot of different religions have experiences. Muslims have experiences, Mormons have experiences, Hindus and Buddhists have experiences, natures have experiences, and if we have nothing to, like... Like um, interpret those experiences with, then, then we're, we can be easily led astray. Mm-hmm. And I and I think the biggest thing with experience is that people, if people tend to feel like God is far away from them, they think if the wind stops blowing, the wind's not there. Yeah, and they have nothing to fall back on. And mm-hmm. so, what I've been trying to convey to a lot of these people is that, yeah, experience is super important. It's the only way we can truly experience who God is and what Christianity is all about. But if we have no basis for believing that or interpreting our experiences, it means nothing.
0: Yeah. Well, I I have a couple thoughts about this. Um, uh, Even, it it was interesting the way you put it uh, early on in your comments just then, and, and you said they claim that we have to experience God for who He is. Well, that's actually a statement you and I can get fully behind. Yes, mm-hmm. you have to experience God for who He is, but the experience of God for who He is cannot happen unless you have an accurate sense of who He is. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's where... Um, there is no dichotomy that, that ones are fitting together really well. And um, if, if look, I, I guess here's, here's what I would want to say. If, if, if a person is not experiencing, if they're not having a satisfying emotional experience as a Christian, that's what I think they're getting at. If you're not having a satisfying emotional experience as a Christian, there's two things he can do one is correct a false understanding about God. It could be people are not having a satisfying emotional experience as Christians because they have false understandings about God. I'm not happy, I'm not fulfilled, this is a total bummer. Why? Look at all the miserable things that are happening in my life. Well, did you think it was going to be different? Of course I thought it was going to be different. I'm a Christian now. Well, you have a wrong understanding of how God works in people's lives Mm -hmm. and the role that we have in the world. In this world, you have tribulation. That's what Jesus said. Now, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, but it's an overcoming. It isn't like you have tribulation that you're not going to experience because I've overcome it. That's not what he's saying, or else he wouldn't have to say you have tribulation. He's acknowledging that you're going to have tribulation in this world. That means as long as you're part of this world, that's going to be a factor in your life, because we are behind enemy lines, so to speak, and we are made for another world. We are not made for this world. There are Mm -hmm. satisfactions to be had here, but we're not made for this world. So, Jesus is letting us know, life is hard, and then you die, okay? That's the way it works. Now, when you understand that, Wow, things get a little, in a certain sense, a little rosier. Then we realize, oh, that's what we're up against. Okay, this is what God has made for us. Now I'm not disappointed in God. You know, I may still be facing difficult circumstances, but now I can begin to draw on God for help in those circumstances. That's, you might call that heart knowledge if you want to use that language, but that's what we have to get right. Now, if it turns out we have a a a right view of God and we're still miserable, then we we can just what we can do is pray for one of two things: for the circumstances to change. That's okay to pray that, or that God would give us perseverance in the circumstances we don't like and that don't change. Okay, so I'm just going to be mildly or moderately transparent with you and the rest of the audience here. There's been a challenge that I've been facing for over a decade in my private life. I'm not going to get any details on it. I want people to even guess. It doesn't matter, but it's a big challenge, and it's something I have to pray about every single day. And it's really, really hard. Okay, but um, I feel close to the Lord, you know, in my way. And probably closer to the Lord because of the hardship. I think my theology is pretty right. And because I know that this is what's expected for me, I can can soldier on. I can man up, okay, and and then trust God to help me endure every single day. Coram Deo. That's before the Lord. So I'm living my day-to-day life, Coram Deo. And when I go to bed at night, I take a knee, and I say, thank you, God, for this day, and I review the things that God did for me on this day. And sometimes the day, the entire day was hard, but you know what? There I am at the end of the day, and I'm on my knee thanking God. That means he got me through the day, okay? All of that is personal stuff. People say, "Oh, that okay? Well, that sounds kind of like heart knowledge, I guess." Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't even think in those terms. Get your theology right and understand exactly who God is, and and experience God for who He is. That's what I'm doing. What God is is a God who uses this life to make us fit for the next one. I got that from J.P. Moreland he's making us fit for the next one. And while he makes us fit, that's not fun. But when we're being made fit, we are experiencing God's hand in our life for who he is. And and some people might think, well, okay, well, that's that's not the kind of experience we had in mind. Well, I don't know what you had in mind, but that's the kind of experience the Scripture promises. This is what we have in this world. You have tribulation. And by the way, that's, I'm just a cherry-picking a verse or two here, 1 Peter was written to suffering Christians. As Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves for the same purpose. That's chapter 2. For those who suffer according to the will of God, entrust yourselves to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That's chapter 4. Uh, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firming your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering <clears throat> are being experienced by your brethren who are in the world. That's First Peter 5. And it's not just 1 Peter. Hebrews was written to suffering Christians. And 1 Thessalonians was written to suffering Christians. And Second Thessalonians was written to suffering Christians. You know, Philippians was written by Paul when he was in jail. So it was Ephesians. So was Colossians. So was Second Timothy. Okay, so we, we're beginning to get a picture of what it looks like to experience God's life for us, all right? And Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, "...for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory." Notice the hardship in this life is causing something to be the case in the next life, okay? That's all good theology and I could and I could be I can go on and on with verses here. I know these passages, okay? To me that's all experiencing God. But I think what they have in mind is something different. I think they mean like a a joy ride in, in a different sense than the spiritual gift of joy. It's happy 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 kind of thing. And if you're not happy, 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 then you're too much in your head, and you ought to get into your heart more and have a happy, happy, happy. Well, that's not exactly the way it works, in my view. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that.
1: Um, I think I'd add two two things, Mr. Koko. One's just a comment, and one's just a follow-up question, if okay. that's all right. Sure. Um, I think when you like you talk about these experiential Christians, I think, yeah, is some of them are, to some extent... Um, that they are wanting just the happy life, you know, like like that's the definition of prosperity gospel. Right. I think then, like on the other hand, too, um, there's many Christians that they they somewhat to to some degree they understand the importance of knowledge, but that they put an emphasis too much on the fact that oh yeah, I need I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to feel like I need to feel this like awe and worship for God, and I need everything needs to depend on like. What I what I think of him and like how I feel him and what I, what I can see him doing in my life mm-hmm. and I think about um, like J.P. Moreland's book "Love Your God with All Your Mind." Right, is that I think the p- part of the social contagion of the church is to base a lot of what we think on quote unquote like emotion and experience, and I think that's 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 not a really good place to set our footing.
0: Yeah, is
1: because like when we face like tribulations, like you talked about with Paul, it's like. What do we have to stand on? Because mm-hmm. we're definitely not feeling God's presence or anything like that. Like I, I think about when I have my own personal doubts, um, Mr. Coco. When Christianity's true, if if all I had was experience, I would have stopped being a Christian a long time mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's the problem is that many Christians, they they have that like experiential like, and like I can see that their hearts are really set on God, but they have nothing to to. Um, put that feeling or experience or that, uh, yeah, that, that emotion, they have nothing to ground that in.
0: There's no framework and, for them to work from to understand it, it, that experience and their role with God, right? It,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I guess my follow-up question then, to kind of shift the conversation... Okay, here, wait, hold that, it,
0: can you hold the question for a moment? Because I, I want to yeah, hear it, yeah. but I, I just wanted to make a comment before we get past this point, and that is about those who want to focus on trying to be filled with the Spirit. I just want to make the observation. Now, this is a biblical observation. So, if we are going to think about filling of the Spirit, we want to think about it in a biblical way. Okay? In the book of Acts, Luke uses the term a number of times, and it's all something that the Holy Spirit decides to do given a specific circumstance. Nobody asks to be filled with the Spirit and waits for the Spirit to come before they start doing things. The Spirit shows up to accomplish the task that is necessary for the spiritual people to accomplish. So that's the first observation. Paul's use of the word, and we talked about it in Ephesians 5, is in the passive voice. Be filled. In other words, allow your, passive means you allow the action to be done to you. Do not get drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, again, the initiative is on God's side. And this is why I think trying to figure out how to get filled is the tail wagging the dog. I think we ought to be thinking about doing something else and let the Spirit fill us in the process as we're trying to be obedient and fulfill God's purposes in our life. But anyway, that was just a side comment. Your other question?
1: Yeah, no, it, well, my, my other question has to do with this. It's just a little bit different, but I kind of going into what you just said and going into my question is that I think you'd say that unless we have a firm foundation of like, yeah, we can know Christianity's true, mm-hmm. we're never really going to truly experience who God is, we're, we, unless we're living a life in accordance to what we know to be true, we're never going to truly be filled <laughs> with the Spirit. Am I, am I right in, in saying that?
0: Well, I think people can be filled with the Spirit without having much information. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to dichotomize the two. Like, uh, there's knowledge over here, and then there's filled with the Spirit over there. And we just need a lot more Spirit filling than what we have. What's interesting is what is described as evidence of the Spirit in one's life is in Galatians 5, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. Once again, by the way, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's what the spirit produces in us: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I get them all? That's I think so. Eight. Maybe I missed one, but uh, so the the uh, but the idea is, it's the thing that the spirit is doing. You know, it's not what I'm doing. Now I can pursue godliness. That means pursuing virtue in my life, but the ultimate fruit of my pursuit, of my effort, because I think my view of sanctification is we partner with God. In fact, I read a verse almost to that exact sense the other day. I can't remember what it was. But we are partnering with God to accomplish this, trusting in Him to do this in our lives as we make our effort to be holy and, and virtuous. So, I, I, I think the knowledge, as we gain accurate knowledge, that process becomes more efficient. But we can start out in the process of being close to God and filled with the Spirit, even as a new Christian without very much knowledge at all. There is a connection between the two, though.
1: And then would you say, though, like, if somebody is a new Christian and they're filled with the Spirit, uh, per se, would, would it be best for that Christian, then, to seek out a foundation for this feeling of the spirit, this experience that they
0: have. So yeah, is that what you mean by filled with the spirits? That they're they are feeling something really great? Is that what you mean by filled with the spirit?
1: I think to some extent, Mr. Coco, let me maybe let me maybe refine what I mean. When I'm talking about people who are talking about having experiences with God, again, I'm not super sure what they mean. I'm sure to some right. extent they mean being filled with the Spirit. But I think what they mean is having more of a personal relationship with him and understanding who he is and how they how he relates to their life. Yeah. So I guess to kind of to try and maybe bring my question more clarity, is that when we're thinking about apologetics, what role does that play in having a relationship with God and knowing who he is and experiencing him in our lives and like experiencing the salvation, the sanctification and the life change that Christ brings to a Christian's life.
0: Okay, that's a great question, and I want you to think just a moment for how Peter ends his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He's given all this evidence. He says, you know, they are baptized in the Spirit. There's this initiation of the new covenant. The Spirit falls upon them, fills them. Tongues of fire, wind, noise, they break out. It's a big commotion. People think they're drunk. We're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's happening because uh, that's Joel. It's happening because Jesus was executed. Then he rose from the dead, and we are witnesses to this, and that's a fulfillment of prophecy. So there's all these evidences that are given even in that sermon on Pentecost Sunday. There's all kinds of apologetics that are built in. Here's how he ends his sermon. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Okay? That know for certain is important. He could say know for certain because he's just given all the Evidences that point to the certainty of the truth that Jesus is the Lord and He is the Messiah. Now, what? And they were cut to the quick, and they said, "All right, what must we do? Believe and be baptized." You know, and they were filled. They, I, I'm, I don't have the text in front of me, but I think they were, they were then filled with the Spirit. Okay, so y- y- you, you, when you have more solid reason. Uh, regarding the truth of Christianity, um, it is much easier for you emotionally, whatever you want to call it, to do what they did. What must we do, okay? Um, look, we don't choose our beliefs, all right? this uh, That's called doxastic voluntarism. We don't choose our beliefs. I'm not choosing to believe that I'm on the show right now. Uh, everything presents itself to, to me, and I I believe it because of all that I'm I'm seeing and, and and experiencing, and that's why I believe that I'm talking to Cade from Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, by the same token, if we c- it's very difficult to generate belief in something, to generate and believe that we have no reason to believe. Now, somebody might have a feeling about something when they become a Christian, especially. They get a honeymoon phase, and they have a feeling. Oh, man, I put my trust in Jesus. Now I feel great. Okay, the feeling for them is the verification. Mm -hmm. What happens in a couple of weeks, and the feeling goes away. Now I don't have the verification anymore. Now what? So I became a Christian in September 1973. So my 50th anniversary is coming up as a Christian. And uh, it was during the Jesus movement. I knew lots and lots of Christians back in the Jesus movement who are not around today. I know a lot who still are. But a lot of them are gone. They're just not around anymore. Okay, back then it was a lot of emphasis on feeling. You know, you watch that movie. I, I didn't see it, but I saw the previews. The the Jesus Revolution order. You see, there's a lot of joy being spread around. A lot of exuberance. Yeah. Okay, well, a lot of those people didn't last because when I became a Christian, September twenty eighth, seventy three. Okay, it's of September let's see, so October, November, December, January 1st, I started the year 1974 in tears, in anguish, in my heart. What had happened? The honeymoon was over. Mm-hmm. God was, I mean, I'm speaking literally now, I remember it well, and and God was there, okay, now let's get down, we had a little fun time, great, now we're down to real business here. And um, and then then it's hard. And it was really hard for me. There was all kinds of stuff I could tell you about, but it was a, it was a, it was a growing experience, and that's the truth. I didn't stay on this high, this whole time. The honeymoon was over. Now we're getting down to real living. That's the way it works. Not okay. I'm not filled with the spirit. I got to get filled with the spirit so I can feel great again. Because once I feel great again, then I believe. That's what the spirit feels like, and then I know there's a spirit. But if I don't okay. feel that, then I'm not sure about the Holy Spirit, and then who knows what. That's why it's not a good foundation. It's not a foundation at all. It's important, the affective element, but it's not... it's the caboose, it's not the engine.
1: So I think to clarify, Mr. Koko, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would agree by saying that when we can know for certain that Christianity is true, and again we use reason, we use logic, we use apologetics for that kind of thing, from that stems the experiential part. If I can know this to be true, then I can experience the God who I know to be true. And so the experiential part, the quote-unquote heart knowledge, if you want to put it, the being filled with the Spirit, that is not the root. The root is knowing, like Peter said, knowing for certain that this is true, and then, from that we are baptized. Yeah, I spirit. think that's
0: the best way to put it. It's not the root or the root, depending what part of the country you're from. It's not the root. It's the it. it uh, and what I what I think is the knowledge stuff can supplement your sense of confidence that creates a feeling under certain circumstances. Okay, the knowledge is going to help um, a lot of those people who started out. Like I did. Wow, this is great being a Christian. Although the very first day that I shared the Lord was less and it got tremendous persecution from my friends was less than twenty-four hours after I received Christ. I became a Christian on a Friday night, and it was Saturday afternoon that bang I hit hit really hard. So, man, that was that was a challenge, right? But the the I didn't have a lot of foundation. The more foundation I had, though, the more confident I got, and the more confident I got in Christ, and so the more comfortable I felt that, you know, he's not going away even if things get really hard. And that's the way I think they supplement each other. One doesn't necessarily lead to another inexorably, but they work together. The key thing, though, is if you're running on on experience, you're running on fumes. It's not the fuel. you got to have the fuel. And uh, if you don't have the fuel, you're going to run out of fumes. I'm just saying. Because life is so, hard and then you die.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, what would you say then, Mr. Cocle, the to people who end up converting to Christianity, not originally from like the knowledge based reason? You think about maybe the alcoholic or the drug addict or just somebody right. who's like, yeah, Jesus changed my life. I, right. I, I experienced him. Like, there's certainly an aspect to that that is real. We believe that yes. as Christians. But
0: Exactly. And I think it's evidential, too. I think it's real okay. and evidential. There's a witness of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. Um, that is evidential, in my view. Uh, so that does play a role, okay? It's not okay. inconsequential. It's not an either-or. It's not a dichotomy. These things fit together, hand in glove. And, and what, sometimes one hand is stronger than the other hand in any given situation, but they are meant to go together. And there are different personalities um you know you and I are you know it mentally left handed and others are mentally right handed so to speak right brain left brain and so we're gonna lead with our strength but we we need both hands, we need both sides of the brain, so to speak, yeah. uh, just to use that language we need the affective and the and the uh uh, whatever. What's another word? I'm trying to think of a nice, clever word that sounds like affective, but it means the knowledge part. You know, you, you know, knowledge. There's knowledge. There's there's three types of knowledge. There's know-how. That's how you can fix something or make something. You have the know-how. There's know that. That's the knowledge. And then there's the uh, knowledge by acquaintance. Yeah. And that's probably what people are referring to by being filled with the Spirit. Um, I
1: think that's, that would be it.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, knowledge by acquaintance comes—would they say, you know, I went through so much misery the last three weeks, it's been so hard. That was an example of being filled by the Spirit? I suspect they wouldn't say that. I would suspect they say, and when I was the worshiper, I was so happy I was jumping up and down, I was so filled with the Spirit. In other words, being filled with the Spirit, in their mind, is feeling good. When in yeah. fact, it, the chances are when it was really hard, they were more likely they were filled with the spirit that was helping him get through the hard time. That's knowledge by acquaintance through hardship and difficulty.
1: Yeah, and I think one last thing, Mr. Koukou, to kind of like really emphasize that point that you just made, because I think that's important to me, is first I'll say one of my favorite essays by C.S. Lewis It's called Meditations in a Toolshed, huh. and he talks, he talks about the importance of looking along and looking at a worldview. First, we have to like, he talks about how he was in his tool shed and he saw this beam of light coming through the crack. And he said, looking at the light, I couldn't see anything at it, but I could examine it. I could examine what it was. Mm -hmm. But in order to fully experience what the light was and what it allowed me to see, I had to step into the beam of light. And so he talks about that with like worldview, the argument for morality and such. But I think as Christians, it's an important concept because I think we need to step aside and look at our worldview critically and say, okay, am I living a lie here? But then we also need to have the part where we step and we look along with it to fully understand it. And in the light of that, Mr. Cokel, is that we, if you and we, we talked about, you and I are both very left handed, and you talked about how we both, we need both. And one thing for me that I struggle with as a Christian is that I have all this knowledge and I know Christianity is true, but I struggle in in experiencing who God is and having a relationship
0: mm-hmm, with him. Mm-hmm. So what
1: does it truly mean what does it truly mean and what does it truly look like to experience who God is and have like a knowledge by acquaintance of
0: who he is? Well, uh, that just this, there's a very simple answer for that and it's true with any relationship. It's something that takes time. It just takes time and lots of it okay you're a young man you got lots of time ahead of you you're way ahead of the game what are you are you 15 yet
1: uh i'm 15 i'm going to be turning 16 uh, at the end of may
0: oh okay so moving ahead there so what we've known each other for three years or so i'd say when you were 13 i think is when you first started calling the show is that right
1: i think so i think somewhere around that
0: time but see you've still got a lot of time and what's going to happen is god is going to work with you on that you pursue god that way you 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 pursue the disciplines you be consistent in your prayer life you you go to god opening your heart to him and um and god is I'll just tell you the, the 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 quickest way to the kind of in, genuine impas, in, intimacy that you are talking about is hardship and trial and And I'm just telling you, people who have been around for a long time and have a deep relationship with God, they're going to all give the nod to that. They understand that that's true, because that's the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Paul says, physical exercise profits little, but godliness is a means of great gain, for it shows a promise uh, not just for this life but also for the life to come. So there's this life and the, the already and the not yet. And I just, from my own life, because we're a lot alike, and and this is, I've, I've bemoaned the fact that I uh, have, have not had, uh, over the years, a deeper or richer, affective life with God that has deepened and gotten richer as time has gone on. But a lot of that has been through hardship and difficulty, like I alluded to earlier. So just hang in there. That's what I would say. I, I don't think you can work up a Christian experience in the way that a lot of people talk about it. Okay, too much head. I just got to go somewhere and get filled with the Spirit. That's what they do. They go, then they get on a plane, and they fly to someplace else where the Spirit showed up, like Asbury or whatever is happening on the East Coast. No, I got to go there because that's where the Holy Spirit is. I'm not yeah. putting that thing down. I'm just saying I know the way Christians respond. That's where the Holy Spirit is. I'm going there okay? No, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is right inside, and He's doing what He needs to do to make us more like Christ, okay? Yeah. That's Romans 8 28 stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's the hard thing for me, Mr. Coco, is that I see a lot of Christians who, who will really experience who God is, and I, I guess I'm using that, that sentence kind of redundantly, but they have this extremely close relationship with Him. And I think for me, as a more intellectual person, I struggle with that, and I see other Christians having that, and I want to have that same kind of relationship with my Savior, and my Creator, as they do. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like you said, it's part of just, and I know a lot of people talking about it, it's like any other relationship. Are you spending time with Him? Are you trying to serve Him? Are you obeying what He He wants you to do? Are you trying to learn more about Him? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think what I wanted, I, but the purpose of the phone call, and I think you really helped me with Mr. Coco is that I want to see, I have this knowledge, I have this foundation, but from that I want to um, extend, I want to have from that, stem from that, a more personal relationship with, with God.
0: Well, just keep pursuing it. That's I'd be the best I could tell you. From from I became a Christian when I was twenty three. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, and I, I remember seasons of my life when I was twenty four when I was that was when I was twenty three and I had lots of ministry experiences the first three years, but I was twenty six years old when I went behind the Iron Curtain and worked with Christians who are suffering there in the Soviet Union the former Soviet Union and in in uh, Bukhara, uh Uh, Bucharest, where's that? That's in Romania or in uh, East Germany. You know, I just went to a lot of places there, and so I had all these these really cool adventures, and these things threw me, in many cases, into the arms of God in prayer and pursuit of God, okay? That's what it takes but it isn't like any of those things just kind of was the secret key to unlock this effulsion of emotional response. And I read about people who had these kinds of experiences, you know, the deeper life experience, the Keswick revival there in in England there in the late uh, 19th century, and, and how there's this full surrender. And once they had their full surrender, then the Holy Spirit came in like a flood, and and then they were kind of you know everything they're doing was the the Holy Spirit was doing it, and it's exchanged life. I'm not doing, but it's Christ who's doing it within me and and I kept trying to get that. If I just commit fully enough, then the Holy Spirit this will unlock the holy spirit well i I think that's a faulty understanding of of um uh, sanctification as I look back on it now. It never was like that, and it wasn't like that in Scripture either. There is a there is a, a sense, if you want to use the exchanged life language that we see in Galatians, that I live, but it's not I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. So there's a two-part. It's me living and Christ living, and we're living together. And it's in the partnership that we are growing spiritually, and then that growing spiritually entails a whole bunch of stuff. I think, to some degree, we've been sold a bill of goods by our culture that have to do with emotions and feelings, and if, if we're not having the emotion in just the right way or the feeling in just the right way, if we're not having the romance with God—and that's the way some actually put it—with Jesus, the divine romance, if we're not having that, then something is missing in our life. And I guess I don't believe that's true. I think there are some people who do have, like, a kind of romantic relationship with God or with Jesus. Uh, I don't, I don't, but some people seem to have that. Well, okay, there's an individual thing. But I remember when I was at this Christian community that I moved into right after I became a Christian, four months after I became a Christian, it was called the Jesus Christ Light and Powerhouse. Kind of a crazy name, but it was a fraternity house right on the edge of uh, the UCLA campus there in Westwood Village, and I lived there for two and a half years. That's where I got discipled and a lot of my training, and I worked on a lot of this stuff for myself, trying to figure this stuff out, you know, and uh, I remember I wrote a <laughs> in front of my desk, I wrote a note, and I stuck it up there by my bookshelf so I could see it when I'm studying, right? And the note said, Lord, you're my girl. Yeah, you're <laughs> laughing appropriately, Lord, you're my girl. I'll tell you something, Kate. it didn't work. Because yeah, yeah. God wasn't meant to be my girl. In fact, when you think about it, you think of the Garden of Eden. And God created everything, and Adam made this perfect, idyllic place for him. And Adam is an unfallen, unbroken relationship with God. And God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And you think, wait a minute. Uh, he's not alone. He's got God right there. They're chums, right? Everything's fine. There's no sin. No, God designed us to be in, in communion with others, and particularly man with a woman, and so he made Eve, etc., you know the account. But <clears throat> the point I'm making is, I do not think God ever intended to be that in that kind of relationship with us as believers. Some people are a little bit more geared that way, and so they experience that more. Others are not geared that way, and so their experience with God has a different texture to it. And I I think this is the, the thing that's important to keep in mind, is that experience with God is unique. It does have different textures. It doesn't look the same for everyone. And if experiencing God here like in the the filled-but-the-spirit sense, it it means having an emotional high and being carried along. That is not the way Scripture describes being filled with the Spirit, okay? Um, It it describes it differently. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, singing together in psalms and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So there is a satisfaction and a happiness of sorts that kind of can come with being filled with the Spirit but there's a lot of times in the in the book of acts filled with the spirit was was combined with suffering look at stephen filled with the spirit he was being executed for goodness sake okay so 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 ever since the the early 70s i should say the early the late 70s early 80s the whole pentecostal movement in this country really started to happen revive i think the concept of the filling of the spirit and what that means in experience of god has been somewhat hijacked by mistaken theology and that's got to feel it'll look a certain way to be authentic christianity and i think that's sometimes why people like you and i struggle we want to be closer to god Let's keep yeah. pursuing him, and let him do it in his time. We'll do our part, and then let him do his part.
1: Yeah. So, and in, in just in sum, Mister Coco, you would say we need both the experiential part, but we also need the foundation. And like for somebody like you and me, to grow that experiential part would mean to to pursue God and just continue to pursue Him and follow Him, and. Through that, you will grow a deeper relationship. Yeah, am, I, am I agree. I, am I... Yes, okay.
0: and even if your even if your relationship feels a little barren. That's true of all relationships. Ask your parents, true. you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You
0: know, you, you, you're, you're, that, that whole love relationship and marriage just goes up and down. It just, you have a honeymoon and all that's great. And then, okay, now we're down to living. And now we got to solve some problems and deal with kids and all that other stuff. And I know you got you, and then you got your, your, your brother, and he's a fireball just like you are, your younger brother. And uh, there's more of you. And so, I mean, that just means real living. And that's kind of what. You have to deal with. And the same thing is true with Christianity. It's just real living. And so, even when you said, you know, you lay this foundation, but then you seek the experience, I even, I don't even like the dichotomy. I don't even like talking in those terms, because it, it continues to encourage or yeah, kind of encourage the sense that they're these two different things, when really they're deeply overlapping. Yeah. And keep in mind, when most people think of experiencing God, they are not thinking about suffering, with God's help. (laughs) That's not what they're thinking about. But a huge part of living with God in a friendship or relationship involves the hardship and difficulty that He helps us through. I have overcome the world. The world you have to live in, the world I have to live in, that is filled with difficulty and sin and strife, you know, tribulation, that is the world that I have overcome for you to live through and finish well so he can say well done good and faithful servant (laughs) that's what i'm after and i don't think well done has anything to do with how much feelings i'm having in any given point i honestly don't yeah all right buddy
1: All right. Thank you, Mr. Kokel. That was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate
0: your input. Uh, Yes, well, thank you, and I agree. It was a wonderful conversation for for me, too. And give give a hug to your mom. I don't think I've ever met your dad, but I've met your mom and your brother and some of the other folks around there in that family. So all the best to you, brother.
1: All right. Thanks, Mr. Kokel. Take care.
0: Okay. Bye, Cade. What a great way to end the show. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give him heaven, like Cade's doing. Bye-bye.